If you have your Bibles with you, I hope you do, or whatever your medium you're using to open the Scriptures, um, why don't you make your way to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4 is where uh, I'm going to meet you there in a second. Um, just kind of get our minds going and get our hearts prepared for what is uh, coming. As you can see, we're going through foundations. We've been about four weeks in this, and the goal of the series, again, is to have a strong biblical foundation in our life, not only in our individual life, but in our family's life and the life of this church. And so as we go through this series, there's going to be things that we're going to learn that we maybe didn't learn before. There's going to be things that we didn't know. There's going to be things that are going to uh, make us question or wrestle with some convictions we had that may not match up with the Word of God. And, and so we come to this place where God is going to transform us and to mold us and to shape us into who He needs us to be as His people, who He needs us to be as His church. Our theme passage for this series comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 7, where Jesus tells a parable to wrap up what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And so that's what we're aiming to do, is to have a strong foundation in our life, to build our house, to build our family, to build our life, to build everything we do upon the rock that is the Word of God. Jesus goes on to say in that same parable that if we only hear the Word of God and we do not do them or do not apply them or respond to them, then we are in fact a foolish builder because we've been given that opportunity, but we've walked away without actually living out. So as we go through this and we've been talking about who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, and what the gospel is, it's not just to gain more understanding or more knowledge concerning that, but it's to respond in life according to that. And so as we turn our attention this morning uh, to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 4, uh, we're going to be looking primarily at one verse in chapter 4, and then uh, we'll go to Matthew chapter 28 and then Mark chapter 12. But you stay in Mark, Matthew chapter 4. I want you to begin thinking about this, uh, just to pose a question. If you had to define Christianity or what it means to be a Christian to someone who had no background with that term, how would you define it? Just think about that for a moment. If you had to define Christianity or what it is to be a Christian to someone who has no background with that, how would you define it? I think a lot of people would define it as, you know, it means I'm saved. And, and that's not a wrong answer, but there's so much more that goes into being a Christian and what Christianity is than just our eternal salvation. There's things going on now that define what Christianity is. I personally believe that Christianity is under attack for two reasons right now. One, Satan is stirring. Uh, Satan does not want Christianity to explode, does not want it to expand. He's actually trying to water it down, and you can see the effects of that, particularly here in America. The other reason is because a vast majority of people who call themselves Christians do not actually know what a biblical Christian is. So we have defined Christianity to what we think it can be. Matter of fact, if you were to go home this afternoon, uh, don't do it right now, even though I know you have tablets and phones and things like that, but if you go home this afternoon, and you were to bring up 
a search engine like Google and text in what is Christianity and allow Google to give you an answer, you would come up with nearly 400 million answers. And out of those 400 million, I'm guessing you could find one that you would like and say, yeah, I could live like that as a Christian. The problem is, is it doesn't match Scripture to how Jesus and the Bible defines what Christianity really is. So if you were to ask someone, and I've asked people to go before, you know, you go to church, are you saved, things like that, and I've gotten responses, you know, well, I'm a Christian because I'm saved. I've gotten other responses such as, well, I'm a Christian because I go to church. Well, the funny thing about that is you can go to church and not be a Christian. Matter of fact, atheists have churches now, believe it or not. Some people define their Christianity or what it is to be a Christian by their tie to whatever denomination they go to. For example, you're in a Southern Baptist church. If you didn't know that already, you probably stay for the membership class afterwards. Um, but you're in a Southern Baptist church right now. And some people, when you ask, well, are you a Christian? They say, well, yeah, I go to whatever church that is. First Baptist, Second Baptist, Harvest Hill. I go to a Catholic church. I go to a Presbyterian assembly, whatever. And they define their, their Christianity by their denominational tie. But yet again, the Bible does not define it that way. Some people, if you ask if you're a Christian, will respond, well, I'm a good person. And I, and I attempt to do good things for people. Interesting thing about that is when Jesus himself was approached and was called a good teacher, Jesus' response is this, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God alone. So being good isn't what defines being a Christian. So we can be as good as we want. We can do as much good things for other people as we want. And that still doesn't mean we're a Christian. So if you're not confused yet, I could keep rambling on, but here's our question. What is Christianity? What is being a Christian? Most of us in this room no doubt claim it. Some of us have been living as a Christian our entire life. But what I'm going to share this morning is something that God revealed to me several years ago and changed my approach to my relationship with God. Just because you haven't had this Knowledge yet is not, does not doubt your salvation or anything like that. It's just God is going to take us to a new place this morning. For some of us, He's going to refresh it. Some of us, He's going to convict us. And for some of us, He's going to change us completely. So I want you to turn to Mark cha or Matthew chapter 4 as we're going to investigate this Christianity and what is a Christian. Funny thing about that word Christian is it doesn't appear very often in the Scriptures. Matter of fact, the word Christian is only found three times in the Bible, and it's all in the New Testament. And only one of those times is it found in somewhat of a positive light. The first time we're introduced to the term Christian is found in the book of Acts in chapter 11 and verse 26, where it says the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now that, that phrase that is used there isn't that they were building that church up or they were celebrating those individuals for the lifestyle they were living. It's actually a jab at them. It was a derogatory term, meaning they are acting so much like this person Jesus, they're talking like him and doing things that Jesus did, that the only term we can come up with them is Christian. It actually comes from a Greek suffix. Suffix is added to a word in order to give a description that means slave. So they saw these, this group of believers that were part of what is at that time known as the way as people who were slaves or owned by Christ. And because of that relationship they had with Christ and God, they termed Christian. Look at those Christians. The only time Christian is actually used in a positive reference 
comes from the letter of Peter, in which the context of that, of that term is in 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter is, is talking about suffering as a Christian, and in the midst of your suffering, because you're being persecuted as a Christian, to rejoice and glorify God. And that's the most positive term Christianity is used in the Scriptures. So what is it? Jesus never comes to people and say, hey, I want you to be a Christian. Matter of fact, Jesus never invited anybody to a Christian church. The only time Jesus actually told people to go to church is when he healed them, says you need to go see the priest. And that was more accustomed to the Jewish tradition than it is to anything with Christianity. Jesus didn't call the first followers, say, hey, come follow me, and I'm going to make you into a Christian. I'm going to show you what Christianity is. He didn't even tell his disciples as he was discipling them that you are going to eventually form what is known as Christianity. Jesus never uses that term. But he does use a term that defined what Christianity is meant to be in our life. And that is in Matthew chapter 4. And actually, Jesus doesn't even say the word. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He looks out and he sees Simon, who is eventually going to be called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting the net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Well, that makes sense. In verse 19, he, being Jesus, said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, in some versions of the Bible, you may read in verse 19 where it says, Come, follow me. Just a quick note, the word come is not in the original text. It is simply implied. Jesus is inviting these individuals. Now, what we don't see here is he doesn't say, you know, be my disciple, right? He doesn't say that, right? But in the context of Jesus was a Jewish individual, and people saw him as a rabbi, a teacher, and a master. This is the invitation a rabbi would give to someone he is inviting into a relationship of discipleship. See, rabbis and teachers would go and find a pupil, a student, and they would invite them in to come and learn from them. They would follow them around. They would be basically their shadow, and they would teach them, particularly more with biblical interpretation, uh, what we would consider the Old Testament. And as this disciple would follow this rabbi, what they would do is, is when things came up in their life, they would go to their teacher and their rabbi and say, what should I do concerning this? How should I handle this situation? And when the rabbi or teacher responded, this is what you should do, this is what this means, the, the disciple or the student would do it. No questions asked, no debates, no but, 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 but. They just do it. Why? Because the rabbi, the teacher, was the master. He was the one who had the understanding and the knowledge, and the disciple was the one learning from. When Jesus stands upon the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he says, come follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men, what he's doing is come and be with me. I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to be your teacher, your rabbi, your master, and you're going to follow along in this, this relationship of discipleship. See, Jesus doesn't call us to be a Christian as much as he calls us to be a disciple. And what that means is we follow the life and teachings of Jesus Christ to the point that we live them out with no question, no debate, no argument. Jesus said what he said and we are to do it. That's what a Christian is. That's what the term comes from in Acts when they say that they are Christians because they were living such a way that it amplified the words and teachings of Jesus Christ. That's the only term they can, they are owned by Christ. 
They're slaves to his teachings. They do exactly what he wants them to do. Now, we can look in Scripture, and obviously they didn't get it right every single time, right? But their life and the way they lived showed who they belonged to. See, that's what Christianity is. To say, I am a Christian, says, I belong to Jesus Christ. He is my master. He is my teacher. I am his student. I am his pupil. And he is pouring into my, li- into my life, and I am living according to his word. That's what a Christian, a Christian is. It's not about being good. It's not about going to a certain church or being part of a certain denomination. It's about adhering to the words and teachings of Jesus. But notice the invitation here. What does Jesus say? What are the first two words if you take out the word come? Follow me, right? Okay. Now, if, uh, if I'm going to tell Ellie, come here, come here, boy. You awake? Uh, yeah. yeah, okay, okay. Well, I won't make you exert too much energy. Can you, can you just follow me on the, on the ground? Watch the steps there, buddy. This is what Jesus is doing. He's, is, he says, come follow me. Now, what is physically does Elliot have to do? He has to, yeah, yeah, he has to keep his eyes on him. Could the disciples, if Jesus says, come follow me, could the disciples say, sure, and then go back to fishing and following? No. And it doesn't make sense. And so when Jesus invites the disciples to follow him, he is inviting them physically to keep his eye, their eyes on him and physically follow him. It takes movement and action. Christianity is about action. It is about doing something. It's not about sitting on our rumpus and our blessed assurance and all that. It is about following Jesus Christ to where he wants us to be because he says, I'm going to make you. I'm going to transform you. It's a language in scripture that is, is a potter is forming the clay. Are you getting nervous because I'm still talking to your standing? Okay, you can sit down. The the potter is forming the clay into the vessel he wants it to be. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you. He's saying, you keep your eyes on me. You keep step with me and I'm going to take you to where I need you to be. What it implies is that for them to follow and for us to follow Jesus, we cannot stay where he found us. He found us in our sin. He found us as an enemy of God, a child of wrath, a child of disobedience. He found us there in the mud, in the disgusting sludge of sin. And he says, follow me, come to me. And he brings us out of the sin, which means we physically and spiritually have to move. A lot of people (laughs) haven't moved a step since they've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. How weird would it be if we read there in in chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 19, says, He said to them, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. How weird would it be if in verse 20 it says, They should sure, sounds great, and then they went back to fishing. But what does it say in verse 20? Immediately they left their nets. Immediately they left their comfort zone. They left what they knew. They left where he found them. And what did they do? They followed him. It makes the most sense. 
Jesus invited them to follow, and what did they do? They followed. But see, Christianity today is under such attack because so many people who title themselves Christians or check the Christian box on, on what form it has to be, there's no evidence of them actually following Jesus. They look nothing like him. They act nothing like him. They talk nothing like him. They do things nothing like him. And according to the Bible, it means they aren't actually disciples. When, when I came to that reality, it was through a book by a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I knew I was saved. I accepted Christ. I knew that. I felt God's conviction, things like that. But I read this book called The Cost of Discipleship. You talk about questioning your faith and your salvation. And when I came to understanding what Jesus has called for me to do, when I call myself a Christian and a follower of Christ, when he is calling me to adhere to his words, to follow his words, to live out his words, to be him today, example of Christ today, totally changed my view of Christianity. I mean, it's, being a Christian is not about being good enough. It's not about having your name on a membership roster. It's not about your attendance. You know, when you stand before God, you know what God's not going to bring out? He's not going to bring out, well, so how good of a person were you? <laughs> this holy God. He knows all things. He's not going to bring out, oh, I see you were a member at Harvest Hill. How wonderful. You're in. He's not going to bring, well, I see that you went to church 80% of your life. Great. That's a passing grade. You're in. He's not going to ask you to do Bible drills or quote memory verses. He's not going to ask you to see how many Christian songs you can sing off the top of your head. You know what he's going to ask you? Did you know me? you know me? And how do you know God? How do you know Jesus? You have to follow him. Jesus was inviting these men into an intimate relationship with him. What it means for us is Bible study isn't negotiable. It's essential that we be in God's word. How else are we going to know him? How else are we going to know what he's trying to, to disciple us and teach us and train us if we're not in the word of God? Follow me. And notice what he says. I will make you fishers of men. Who was he calling? What, were, what was their job? They were fishermen. And so Jesus does this play on words. He does this a lot. He says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. What he's, what he's saying here is I'm going to Take the abilities, the talents, the things that God has already given you, the passions you already have inside of you, and I'm going to make, I'm going to transform them so you're no longer using them just for yourself, but you're using them for the glory of God. But that's going to require you to be in a relationship with me, to walk with me and to follow me and let me transform you. Let me have my way with you to make you who I need you to be. This is where I found you, and I want to take you to where I need you to be. That's the invitation. And the disciples, I guarantee you, because they were men just like us, I guarantee you they didn't fully understand the calling. They fully didn't understand what was going to happen in the next several years as they followed Christ. 
They didn't know all the miracles they see. They didn't know all the things they would, they would encounter, all the questions they would have. But they were willing to go. And that's what Jesus is asking of us. Are we willing to follow him despite our lack of certainty, despite our lack of knowledge, sometimes despite our lack of faith? But are we willing to step out of the boat and follow him to where he's taken? Calls us to be in his word. Let's fast forward three years. Jump to Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, we come to the end where Jesus is getting ready to ascend into the heavens. And he spent roughly three years just discipling and being with these men. He called ten others and they also had other followers within the group. Um, But here's the goal. Here's what Jesus has called us to, and we've accepted Him as Lord and Savior of our life. This is what Jesus is calling, not only to follow Him and be in relationship with Him, to learn from Him and His Word, but ultimately, it's to multiply. Verse 19, it says, go, and that word go in, in the original language means as you are going, meaning it's implied you're going to do this. Now that you've been with me, you're going to go And do what I'm getting ready to tell you to do. Make what? Disciples. What does a disciple do? A disciple is a follower. It's a learner. It's a pupil. So as we've been discipled by Christ, Christ says, now you turn around and do what? Disciple others. See, this is is the goal, is we are to continue to reproduce spiritually. I'm discipled by Christ so I can in turn go and disciple others. And I I believe a lot of people have issues with evangelism and sharing their faith simply because there's a lack of discipleship in their life. I'm simply talking about the things that Jesus Christ has shown me. That's all I'm doing. I'm simply sharing about my relationship with Jesus. Go and disciple all the nations baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you can just see, the, what are we supposed to tell them? And what does he say? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is discipleship language. He's the teacher, the master. I've commanded you these things. Now you're to go and share them with others, everything I've told you. That's what we're called to do. That's Christianity. How do we do it? Go with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, Jesus is addressed. This is in the midst of his ministry. And you all probably have heard this passage before. It's also found in in uh, two of the other Gospels. But I like the way Mark records it. Um, In verse 29, Jesus answered, and he's asked the question, um, what's the most, commo- most important commandment of all? Basically, the question is, Jesus, if I were to do anything right with my life, what should I be doing? What a great question. If I did anything right, what, is it I should, what, what does that look like? And I believe when Jesus answered the question, he not only answers this man's question of, of seeking guidance, because he saw Jesus as a teacher, but he answers the question on how do we do this discipleship thing in everyday life? And Jesus answered, the most important hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That is Old Testament language. 
Verse 30 says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Basically, put everything you got into this. Bring your passions into this. Be passionate about God. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater other commandment greater than these. But notice the language that Jesus used from Matthew and also here in Mark. He says, you. You shall love. You shall go and make commandments. You shall come and follow me. It's a personal invitation that no one else can make for you. And I think this is a strange idea that we have in America that simply because I'm an American, I'm a Christian. It's obviously not the case anymore. But that was once the case. If I was born in America, I'm automatically a Christian. Some of us have based our Christianity simply because we have a mom, a dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, and uncle who drug us to church every single Sunday. And you've grown up in church, and so you associate your Christianity with the fact that you went to church. But Jesus very plainly points out that this is a personal decision that you have to make and no one can make for you and you have to respond in life personally. No one can force you to do this. It's on you. I'm not going to be judged on how well my dad preached or how well my brother preaches or how many times my parents drug me to church. I'm going to be judged on how much I love God and how much of God's love showed in my life. Jesus said in the Scriptures, that we will be known as his disciples, those who are following his teachings by the way we love one another. Love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul lays out what's called the love chapter. We've talked about that in the past. And he says, you know, faith, hope, and love, right? These three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is what? Love, right? Why love? Well, just think about this. Love is the only eternal quality. When you get to heaven, you're not going to hope anymore. What are you going to hope for? The streets are gold, people. <laughs> Man, I wish they were brighter gold. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. You're not going to have to have faith anymore. Everything is going to be plain sight. But what are you still going to be experiencing? Love. The full, encompassing love of God. So what we do here on this side of eternity as representatives of Jesus Christ is we love. We allow eternity to come out of us. We love God. We love the brothers and sisters in Christ. And we love the people that God brings into our life. That's how they know we're Christians. I think Jackson said it earlier. We can do all this singing all of this studying, all of this stuff, but if we don't have love, we're only making noise. Love God. And so it comes to the question is, am I, am, am I in love with God? Does that show in my life? With the people who know me best, who know me outside, see, this is easy right here to pretend like we're in love with God. It's easy to pretend you're in love with God for about an hour and 15. We're not even in that hour yet. But love cannot be confined by a building or a time or a day of the week. It's a commitment. So do the people who know me outside of these walls, 
would they define my life as a life of loving God and loving them? See, God has called us to a commitment to Him, like a marriage relationship. Can you imagine going to a marriage and hearing the pastor get to the vow section and say, all right, repeat after me. I, whatever the name is, promise to love you two to three times a week, a couple hours during that week. When I'm sick, I'm going to complain about you. When I'm poor, I'm going to question how much you actually love me. And when things aren't going my way, I'm going to talk about you in a negative way. Can you imagine if you had a wedding and that was the vow? How's our vow going to God? How are our vows with God? See, Christianity is defined by how we live our life even when things aren't going the best. Unfortunately, when you look out in the world, some people are beginning to find Christianity as the wealth and health gospel. But Jesus never defined that. Matter of fact, if you look in scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you find that God's people go through some very difficult times. And in the end, it calls them to have faith that God knows what he's doing. Psalm 13. If you look at Psalm 13, the psalmist is writing, hear, hear this language. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Do you think the psalmist is going through a very happy moment? Do you think he's feeling wealthy and healthy? But look at his conclusion in verse 5 of chapter 13 in Psalms. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I mean, despite his current circumstances and the current situation, he knows that God is God and God is best for him. Sometimes God brings difficult times in our life simply because he loves you. It's called discipline. Parents, have you ever disciplined your kid? Do we discipline our kids because we hate them? It's because we love them, right? Now, they may not feel that way or, or, or express it that way, unless crying and yelling is expressing a feeling loved. Sometimes God disciplines us because he is discipling us because that's Christianity. And ultimately, it's because he loves us. Because we've gotten off straight and narrow, and sometimes because we don't have the right foundation. So sometimes you're going to go through rough patches in life simply because God loves you too much to allow you to throw your life away. And even though it's difficult in those times, we praise him because he loves us. I don't know where you are this morning, but I need you to know that God loves you. And he's calling you and calling me to something greater than ourselves. Hear this, you're not always going to do it right. Look in the Gospels, you find those that Jesus invited to be his disciples didn't always do it right. But they followed him. So my question for you as a brother and sister in Christ is a question I've had to wrestle with all week, is how well am I actually following Jesus? Does my life look like Jesus? 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, calling the believers to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Am I an imitator of Jesus Christ? Maybe you're here this morning and you know it has not been pretty and your relationship with God has been confined to this time and that needs to change. And God is, is bringing that discipline, that conviction upon you. It's not to make you feel like crud even though I've been there. It happens. It's because he loves you and he doesn't want to leave you there. He's inviting you out of that. Maybe you're here this morning, you just need to accept Jesus Christ. It is, it is a reality you've been playing this whole time. But there's been no relationship with Jesus. And if there's no relationship with Jesus, there's no salvation. And that needs to change. We're going to sing a song of invitation. I'm going to be standing right here. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And if God has spoken to your heart and you need to respond, now's the time. Are you going to, are you going to follow him? Are you going to stay in the boat? Pretty good.